Hello and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebri. And my name is Jessica Tresero. And this week we are joined by Larry Freed of the My Favorite Movie Is podcast. He is a podcaster. He is a filmmaker. Larry, welcome to the show. Hello, I'm here. I'm on the show. Uh, it is such a thrill to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you yeah. for coming to talk about this IP. Do you want to dig us into what we're talking about today? Ugh, it would be my honor. <laughs> we are talking about Planet of the Apes. Specifically, we're going to talk about the 1968 original film directed by Franklin J. Schaffner, I believe his name is, uh, starring Charlton Heston. And then we're going to break down uh, the creme de la creme, the first installment in the Planet of the Apes reboot trilogy, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, uh, mm -hmm. directed by Rupert Wyatt. I, I, maybe, I, I, I forgot realize. to put a period at the end of that sentence just there. But they're, they're, <laughs> they're, we, just, we, we let it ring out waiting for a uh, little bit, a little bit. <laughs> the tension. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize that that is a because I was like, OK, cool. There's Planet of the Apes and then there's the Tim Burton remake. And then there's uh, and the original Planet of the Apes has like a bunch of movies after it. Yeah. And then there's also like this new trilogy where I was like, oh, OK, did they like do it like Dune style or something where they like break it up into a trilogy? Are we doing The Hobbit? Like what's going on? But no, it is a prequel set in yeah. uh, current day San Francisco. Technically speaking, yes, it is a and we can. I'm, I'm so excited to talk about this, but the, it is technically <laughs> speaking a prequel to an alternate version of the events that um, oh. that are in, in the 68. Because in the, I mean, uh, oh my god, do, should I go? Should I start going down the rabbit hole? Do we want to preface a little bit? Or le, yeah, let, before we jump in fully, tell us a little bit about your history with Planet of the Apes as an IP. Like, what got you into it, and uh, why you love this story? So, first of all. I just want to say right off the bat that I love your guys' show. I love the show. I love you too. You're hilarious and wonderful. And I'm really excited to be here. And Thank one of the you. reasons I love your show is because it's about something I'm kind of obsessed with, which is like adaptation and continuation in storytelling. And what I like to think of intertextuality in storytelling. Oh, yeah. For those, yeah, for those who don't mm -hmm. know, intertextuality, it's like... Based, it's it's technically a literary term. It's like when one text references or relates to another in some way. But we we use that term in film all the time as well. So intertextuality in film is a huge thing for me. Every time there's a movie in a movie, I'm like, now why is that there? <laughs> Who put yeah. that there and why? Yeah. Um, and so what's great about your show is it basically looks at two films and basically looks through the intertextuality between the both of them and also looks at adaptation you know, between both of them. You, and it's such a, what's so interesting about your show is it's very broad. You know, you guys have talked about originals and sequels. You've talked about, you know, like you've had the Little Women episode where you talked about the same story told two different ways. You had the Force Majeure episode, which I haven't listened to yet, but I really want to because that is a really fascinating example. Oh, oh such yeah. Such a good film. Yeah, a good yeah. Film. Force Majeure is mwah, chef's yeah. kiss. And so when we were talking about me being on the show, I was asked by Jessica to think about some of my favorite sort of, you know, continuations, retellings of, of, of films. And a little while before we had started talking, I had watched the original Planet of the Apes. Uh, I had revisited the film after a very long time. And just thinking about the movies I had seen recently and like, oh, what's still relevant? What can I talk about? 
I would felt like I was like I smacked myself in the head like duh you need to talk about the Planet of the Apes reboot trilogy um, <laughs> because because again I don't want to I'm not going to go too deep into it but like to me the Planet of the Apes reboot trilogy it is a paradoxical gold standard but also a complete unicorn like it it is a completely unique in my personal opinion it is an entirely unique situation in which you have filmmakers looking at a at this point of an incredibly tired property you know i don't think anybody was looking at planet yeah. of the apes and being like yeah. money you know yeah. they made five movies most of uh, as after they went on they all started to fizzle then they tried to remake it and it got shat on to oblivion and nobody was thinking like planet of the apes would be something interesting to reboot and yet they tried it and they did something I'm literally getting like I'm trying to contain my excitement because at, like they they it's like whether or not whether you love the film Rise of the Planet of the Apes or not like the boldness and the intrigue of the story is like something you never see right now like we live in this we live in an era right now where they sort of are doing all of these legacy sequels or as some people call them the reboot quals this idea of taking yeah. beloved properties bringing in legacy characters and new characters and being all like ooh look at what used to be and now it's now you know like yeah. th there's so much of that and Rise of the Planet of the Apes before that really became popular if we're being honest they took an original IP did something entirely new with it. Something that like any studio right now would probably be like, what the fuck are you were you thinking? This is dumb. <laughs> but they injected this story with an entirely new sense of life while also still clearly paying homage and alluding to the original and in some yeah. ways sharing a lot of thematic similarities. And obviously we're talking about Rise, uh, which when I first saw it in the theater, it like blew my mind when I first watched it it was like a, it was it was a I would like to think it was a pretty formative film for me I'm not going to put it like in the upper 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 echelon but yeah. like it was like it was one of my favorite movies that came out that year and it was just like and this was before I had any knowledge of the original Planet of the Apes films uh, yeah. but I just watched it and I was like oh my god this is it uh, and then the the other films Dawn and War had similar effects on me even though Dawn is technically my favorite of the trilogy okay um, Rise, Dawn is like Loki, a perfect movie. Whatever, we don't have to get into it. Uh, <laughs> Rise, Rise is just this, mm, like you, like you look at Dawn, and Dawn is already has that prequel movie. You know, like Dawn can do whatever it wants. You know, Dawn yeah. said it had a whole new chronology, but Rise was like, we're gonna try this. We're gonna try taking this idea and doing something totally new with it, and whether or not other versions of this exist, because there's been some examples of like reboots of stories that go in an entirely different direction like i'm thinking about like the like the jumanji reboots for example is, is a pretty solid yeah. parallel those are parallels that take the original property and clearly allude to it and have a similar spirit to it but are very very different but the the, the problem is that most of the time that has like varying results I think a lot of people saw the Jumanji sequels and were like, uh, that's not my Jumanji, and they totally dismissed it. Um, Planet of the Apes does not have that same sort of nostalgic air to it. I think a lot of people have a lot of it's very popular. A lot of people know about it, but I don't think there's this like heart beating out of your chest fanboy love for that franchise. And so I yeah. think that's what gave the filmmakers the license to try something new with it. And I think yeah. we got I think we got something that's just 
Oh my god, I can't wait to talk about it. It's one of my all-time favorites. At least not with like our generation, right? Because like I remember, so like my experience with the property is, um, I remember going to the theater uh, to watch the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes, Mm. and my dad was incredibly excited because he loved Planet of the Apes, and I had never seen the original. I don't even think I knew at this point that it was. Well, I guess I did know because my grandma always had like the Sci-Fi Channel on. Like Dune was my shit, right? right? Dune and sliders and all of that. So like I I knew about it and I was like okay cool oh new one and I I watched it and I I was like okay like it wasn't like anything special <laughs> I have no recollection of it now um yeah. I was looking at it the other day like the cast and everything I was like this is wild but yeah so that's kind of my thing I've never seen the original um I knew that they came out with this uh, trilogy but like it wasn't really on my radar because I was like well I mean that 2001 one was awful so like why would I even bother so it was just kind of like one of those like I know it exists but it yeah. is not for me yeah I mean similarly I'd never seen the Charlton Heston one I only knew it from lore and like the general mm. idea and that twist ending and the damn you yeah, dirty ape, like obviously yeah. as part of like the zeitgeist 100% in my brain but I'd never seen the actual film so I'd only understood it as a twist but not as like a story so this was like a first watch for me but apart from that and seeing um Rise of in theaters when it came out and that was also a year after oh, I you moved did. to San Fr- I did and oh. it was a year after I moved to San Francisco so for me I remember being in the theater and being like Oh! <laughs> like, okay, during oh. the movie, I was like, like what? wait, there's redwoods? There's redwoods yeah. over there? Like, what they're the like, fuck? Oh, they're at Muir Woods? Sick. Oh, they're on Twin Peaks? Sick. Oh, I, didn't oh, know that I, you, I did not know yeah. that you live in San, that you moved to San Francisco. That is so funny. Yeah, so I was like, it was like right when I had moved there, and then like they're like fighting on Battery Street, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I work around the corner. Fucking cool. Like, uh, it was it was fun in the same I could have been there. Those apes could have been throwing potholes at me. Literally. Well, part of me also, that was... And Loki, I wish that this was also back when I was doing some background work and I cannot believe I missed the casting call because that's another one of those that was like filming Mm. in town and I just missed it, I guess, because otherwise I would have I'd have been there. (laughs) Um, But then my only other experience with the IP at all is the the Misfits song Forbidden Zone from Famous Monsters, (laughs) Um, even though what is that guy's name? (laughs) Not not Glenn Danzig, but the other one that everyone hates now, rightfully um, so. Uh, I I forget I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get it to you. He's he's like a fucking silly we both, like, like anti-vax Trump right now. <laughs> Trump racist asshole. Um, I'm not compl- the guy who's gonna take Michael the punch card. Michael Graves. Fuck Michael Graves forever. There we go. Michael okay, Graves. Thank you. But keeping that uh, name in the brain bank now. But that song fucks, and it's really sick. It's called the Forbidden Zone. It's literally about Planet of the Apes. Is it? Uh, I fucking never knew that. Yeah, it's it's just oh a song God. that he okay. wrote about Planet of the Apes. So that's my only tie cool. to it. But apart from that, that's that's <laughs> that, that's, that's I got. great. I love yeah. that. I love that you went to this movie with just that frame of reference, and you were like, like the Leo that's Cat cool. meme when they brought up the Forbins, and you're like, boo, that's the yeah, thing literally. from the song that I like. Yeah, hundred percent. That's that was me. Um, okay, well, I feel like we're ready to just kind of dive in. What do you guys think? Let's yeah. get into this. I'm so <laughs> excited. Let's talk about these movies. <laughs> 
1972, a small crew of four was sent out on a deep space mission traveling at the speed of light for six months, making their estimated return to Earth 700 years into the future. However, something goes horribly wrong, and the crew awakens from their cryosleep to find themselves on an unknown planet over 2,000 years into the future. After escaping their sinking spaceship, the three surviving crew members, Taylor, Landon, and Dodge, travel across the desolate land searching for signs of life. Luckily, they don't have to look too hard and soon find water, vegetation, crops, and a primitive tribe of humans. Almost as soon as they encounter the humans, they are all ambushed by a group of closed armed gorillas on horseback. Dodge is killed, Landon is missing, and Taylor is injured. But ultimately, they are all captured with a handful of their other humans. Fun! Taylor's wounds are treated by the ape city surgeon Dr. Gallen and animal psychologist Dr. Zira, where humans are treated as mute, inferior animals. Though Taylor cannot speak due to his throat injury, Dr. Zero quickly realizes Taylor is different from the others. Eventually, they begin to communicate which, by ape law and religious doctrine, should not be possible or tolerated. As a result, a trial ensues to decide Taylor's fate, and though Dr. Zero and Cornelius try to defend him, the two find themselves sharing in his sentence as they are accused of heresy. They flee and are followed to a cave on the coast where they find evidence of human intelligence predating the ape empire. The cave is blown up to hide the evidence, and Taylor finally has his freedom. Oh yeah, and Nova is there too? Taylor and Nova ride off into the sunset only to discover the Statue of Liberty, meaning he's been on Earth all along. Um, Damn bum, you, bum, dirty bum. apes. Seriously though, like, <laughs> damn those dirty apes. Damn those, God damn them straight to hell. Well, actually, even. damn damn human beings, honestly. But also yes. the apes. I mean, the truly. Apes. True. Yeah. Okay, um, I'll, first of all, I want to say... Right now, with what is happening in Ukraine and with Russia and with all of these uh, tensions rising, the talks of nuclear forces being put on high alert, the second film being about an airborne virus, I'm like, oh yeah, I don't know if I, I don't know if I don't I know. I hate to break this to you, but this movie never is not relevant. I'm just like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put that. And I mean, to be fair, I, I did not remember the viral virus, the viral virus, the viral pandemic part of rise as yeah. much so like watching it now is like oh my god well, what, did I, what did i do well, to but these also, people? i was like this is not how a pandemic works like that would have spread like, way faster i know yeah. this now excuse me but i do i do i as soon as that last moment like that post-credit scene of him going to i mean we'll get into it in the other one but yeah i was also just like oh shit <laughs> yes whoops. literally i was go. like oops okay. always relevant i felt yeah. the same way when i watched jaws during the pandemic i was like yeah. nope this movie's too close too close yeah, t- too close yeah. So, Charlton Heston, how are we feeling about this first one? I want to say, first and foremost, I'm obsessed with the casual nudity. I think it's so (laughs) great. I love, because again, in most movies, it's like femme center. Like, not that that's bad, but I feel like it's like, well, guys can't show anything. It's like, but we're going to objectify the ladies. And in this one, it's just very clear. Like, there's a whole 20 minute sequence of them butt ass naked and them working (laughs) really hard to make sure that no dick is present from bushes, from branches, from rocks. Like, the cinematography to make sure that nothing shows genius it's oh, so yeah. it's so well done um but that's my first thought about and this i love movie. that their first thought was like oh my god there's water let's get take off all our clothes and I go mean, jump in it and like they were like so comfortable being so naked together this whole oh, time yeah. I was like, here for I'm it I was like, great excellent excellent yeah <laughs> yeah no that's actually it's a really funny sequence revisiting yeah. revisiting that where they're like they have to like walk around sort of i mean it's one of the it's a 
this movie, I think, is first of all, I'm just gonna be. I think this is a great film. It's not like yeah. one of my like whoa like favorite of all time, but it is a great film, and it's because one of the reasons I should say is because it has so many moments of just like very subtle visual imagery that sort of just like really makes you think about the themes of the, like the 18 different incredible themes in this film. Um, but seeing Taylor and his gang just immediately get naked in the water, it's like, okay, they're already there. Like they're, they're literally visually already bringing them to the point of ape or animal, yes. which perfectly mm-hmm. sets it up for, the honestly horrifying ambush sequence yeah. um, later on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yes, also, Charlton Heston has a rockin' bod, as do the rest of them. <laughs> they do. Yeah. yeah. It's really, it is really gorgeous. Absolutely. Um, no, 100%. Like, the, the, the shredding them, and also, uh, it's like the animalistic aspect of, like, we're equals now, but also most vulnerable, and especially in this mm-hmm. sort of tide-turning of power struggle that we're seeing with the apes and the people, it is a perfect place to set them up for, like, oh, yeah, here's the adventure. Boom. Um, mm-hmm. I also overall the music was really well done. It's so it was good. it was the right perfectly tense, perfectly orchestrated like them exploring the forbidden zone before they finally get to the scarecrows on the rock like all of these angles of them on these dunes and like the long shots and it's you're watching them the... go down and it's like this pedestal up angled down moment. It's like there's so many cool and wonderful shots that are only accentuated by the tension of the composition of the music. I was more impressed than I thought I'd be by it. Yeah, there's a same. Like, I I don't know what I expected or why I didn't expect it to be cool. And maybe it's because of the awful introduction I had with Tim Burton. But, um, which, you know, we love, right? Paul Giamatti. (laughs) Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti. But... I honestly, I feel so bad that your first introduction to this IP was the Tim Burton film. because. But you know what? I mean, watching this kind of saved it, so it's it's fine. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm I do so glad, truly. There's um, the like you were talking about Eric, where you know, like there's the cinematography with the music cues, with like even when they're uh, crash landing on the planet again, and there's like that five minutes of the the world literally turning upside down, right? And um, oh yeah, the way the way that that kind of sets up this tension. I think that that was really good. And I think that there's also a lot of like really good metaphors and like symbolism in the very beginning where like we're literally watching humanity's ship sink from the very beginning. There's like there's no hope. Right. And what I thought was super, super interesting was their obliviousness. Kind of you were talking about how like they're kind of regressed back to like their animalistic nature. Right. When they see the water and they just like get butt ass naked and like fallen and stuff like that like the way that they like treat life when they find like the the, all three of them picking up um Mm -hmm. the vegetation the first sign of vegetation that they find right and then being just totally oblivious to like the people that are following them you know having their packs stolen like so much of that i think really is telling about the story and how it's going to go and what we're going to see happen because their packs are stolen right their equipment's broken they have nothing and all of that was taken from them even though it belonged to them right so in that moment that's also their identity right their identity is stolen and that's like a big conversation later on in like the trial and stuff right and to think that when they landed on this world the way that they presented themselves and the way that they acted was as if it belongs to them and like nothing can hurt them like they as these american men uh, cannot even fathom the idea of something Mm -hmm. being dangerous and not for them so they've just decided that this is for them they literally plant their little toothpick flag in the ground (laughs) (laughs) you know um 
because this is a story about men a hundred percent like and just how it echoes in that first line of him sitting on the ship being like i'm so alone i'm so lonely like this sort of existential idea of like Mm -hmm. i've left everything behind i'm on this mission i should be feeling good but why am i feeling so alone how that individualism and that individualistic sort of ownership of things is so isolating that like everything that he's done has been for self-interest and mm-hmm. suddenly he's like why do i feel this way and it's like what's not clicking that's why you're so alone that's why you're so lonely and th- this these actions and- are reverberated at every turn every moment like i shouldn't be afraid i'm going to get this and whatever and even when he's in captivity with what is Zo- wait, not zola Nova. Um, what Nova? Nova. Nova. Um, she's now mine. I'm gonna fuck her. I'm kissing I'm her because I want her, to. Right. Yeah. Uh, Even with the femme ape scientist. What was her name? Zira. Zira. With her, like, can I kiss you on the mouth? Like, like all of this. That he just fucking thinks, pissed me off so, so much. It's, it's like so what bad. Am I? That part like, is so bad. Like so so, so gross bad. and weird. And it it all stems from this idea of like everything's mine. I can take what I need and mm-hmm. whenever I need it because I want it. Which and is then so he wonders why he's so alone and so isolated. Mm-hmm. It's like because you are literally everything that is anti-community and anti. Other people, like you do not consider other people. Empathy is not a word for you. You exist in this bubble of self-interest. <laughs> Which is also incredibly wild because like yeah. the, the film starts with him talking about how much he hates people and yeah, how he's which- like the thing that he hates about them is their lack of community, right? Like he hates, he's like, do wars still exist? Are the neighbor's kids still starving? And I'm like, okay, great. But like, this is literally all about you. Like everything in this world is about you and for you. And you are actually like you and like-minded people are what ultimately like led the world to be destroyed. I just (laughs) love that at the end of the day, thematically it makes perfect sense because he starts alone, he ends alone. But at the end of the day, it's like, I love that it turns on him and it's like, fuck, like I tried to get away. I tried all of these things and suddenly I'm still here except everything's gone and I'm the most alone I've ever been in my life. But even in that moment of existential panic, he's still just like, fuck you apes. It's your fault. I fucking hate you. You guys are the worst. And you're the reason that this is. It's like, no, it's you. You're the problem. Mm-hmm. And I like that that as an intentional theme throughout this story because he is not a likable guy. And He's he our hero, but he it. is not likable and he cannot run it. And yeah. let's just put it out there. He is not the only character that suffers from this problem. This no. is a problem Absolutely. that countless of the characters in the film suffer from. Really all the men. Or all the main literally male characters. And first yeah. of all, except this for is why Dodge, who is yes, in the movie who, for five minutes. Correct. Right? I, I, I'm every major male character. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Except for like maybe the the son. Is it the son or nephew or like the, the nephew? The, the, the nephew, nephew. Yeah. He's like doesn't really have enough of a character to really go into it. But like yeah. you have Cornelius. You have mm-hmm. uh, what's oh my god? What's so, the name Cornelius of Cornelius? Has to be egged on by Zira in order to take a stand and in order yeah, to yeah. Cornelius like, you know, is entirely self interested in in his scientific research, making his way mm-hmm. up the hierarchical ladder in the ape society, not being cast out. And then um, mm-hmm. Doctor Zayas, I remembered that guy's name. Hey. Doctor Zayas. <laughs> Doctor Zayas. Doctor Zayas. He. <laughs> He is maybe the most self-interested guy in the whole movie. And it is his self-interest that causes all of the deep cognitive dissonance that surrounds this entire society. And I I think this film is so thematically complex and so um, sociologically complex. I think if -hmm. if there was a sociology class, this is a movie that's got to be on the curriculum. Because it just covers so many bases. But like... 
I think that's what's really interesting and why I love that we're on this topic of discussion is because all of the sociological elements of the film, like you know, religion and faith, like the butting heads between that, how we treat other, like basically the the parallels to animal cruelty, even though it's really fascinatingly being put towards human men, um, and not only human men, but like the ideal human male person. Like Charlton Heston mm-hmm. basically represents like he's attractive, he's got a great body, he is driven <laughs> and self in, in very individualistic, which like some people wouldn't call the ideal male, but it's like kind of this like, he it's, is it's this, the prototypical like, of popular yes. it's an archetype of masculinity for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. exactly. So like but what's Especially great in is the that, 1960s. Oh, 100%. Truly. All of and these he's things white. And, and he's white. white. <laughs> and he's white. All of these things ultimately come from the self-interest of people. Self-interest especially male and masculine self-interest and imperialist self-interest. And this is also in Rise too. I feel these the, there are vibes in Rise as well about this. And really throughout all of the films, it is this, you know, I think a lot of people are weary about sto- or wary, excuse me, about well, weary and wary um about stories about straight white men and their follies. And like, you know, it is a very tired genre. Like I'm not I'm not, <laughs> you know, going up to bat for them. But yeah. There are some stories, in my opinion, that being this archetypal masculine character is essential in order to break down the utter hypocrisies and follies of these kinds of people. And I find that Planet of the Apes, you know, again, we can talk about the female characters in the film next, but, you know, obviously this is not a perfect movie by any standards when you look at it through Mm -hmm. a a 2022 lens. Uh, And I think that a lot of people would maybe misinterpret this film and maybe look at it as like, oh, and look at this, another another straight white man, you know, ruins everything. But like this movie is like, in my personal opinion, in terms of like filmmaking, this is a pillar movie. Like this is a movie that is so much a perfect example of just the tragedy of self-interest, especially of like, you know, basically coded imperialist self-interest, male self-interest. Yeah. And it's just so strong in that way. Because truly with this storytelling, in the end, nobody wins. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Nobody wins. Everyone fucking loses. And it's because at every turn, these choices by these conflicted, self-interested, imperialist-minded men making these choices. And ultimately, that's the downfall for literally everybody. I mean, Mm -hmm. again, Dr. Zayas is still like, we have to hide this so we can stay in control. Whereas Charlton Heston's like, no, we have to show them because whatever, we were here and it's a well-crafted story for that reason. And I like that Charlton Heston's character is so unlikable. All of these male characters are so unlikable. And the intent of that, and that being an intentional choice, is fantastic because it really does dive into that conversation, especially after the trial. And you hear Dr. Zayas be like, I know, I know this. And it's like, why didn't you say, and like, so you're getting all of these. It's so good. You're getting these scenes of self-interest and you're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. I really like that Taylor does not get away with anything. He's leaving Earth because he's like, I can't stand these people, right? Like, they're going to ruin everything. Like, just be nice to everybody when he's kind of an asshole to everybody. So he runs away from that. And then he gets in his situation and he's fucked over by the situation. And then as soon as he gets out, he is ultimately fucked over by like his entire race, right? Like by like uh, the human race in general, like Mm -hmm. by and at large. So now he has Nova to fuck and to populate or whatever, (laughs) right? But like he literally has to sit with himself and be like, my people did this. Like he doesn't get a good ending 
even though he escapes all of these different fates, he still has to sit in that and sit in the consequences of white men. <laughs> yeah, of white men. Yeah. The, ending, <laughs> the ending of this film, the ending of this film is just like, it's already iconic. We all know it's iconic, but it is incredible. Like, I, yeah. there is not a single movie that is made right now that has an ending quite like this. And I was just staggered by like the last really the last 20 minutes and on because we have this whole scene they're in the cave they discover all these artifacts they're like you're wrong and they're right case closed basically and what happens the huge violent uh, violence they blow up the cave and then Charles has to basically like you know what y'all are not going to change like this yeah. you're going to continue to perpetuate this system and society that you live in and nobody seems to like have any power or agency to change it really because you're so stuck in your ways i'm just gonna go he literally like just as we were talking about taylor being self-interested from the very beginning at the very end he's like me and my fuck buddy nova over here are gonna leave and we're gonna (laughs) and we're gonna go like figure something out even though where the hell are you gonna go dude like at this point it's like nihilistic to the utmost degree but like zayas gets untied he rides away and then like the ape it's just like it's just gonna resume the, the yeah. cycle is not broken. Nothing has changed. And Nothing's that changed. is such an important choice. If this movie had ended like, the apes are free now. Thank you, white man. You know, like yeah. it would have just defeated the purpose entirely. Well, that's well and the... I think that that's the biggest uh, part yeah. about this, right? Is yeah. um, in almost every way, the ape empire is truly just mimicking humanity in terms of government, in terms of the way that they use uh, animals uh, that, or, or things that they deem lesser than, right? And like the the way that they hold trial, even their language is English, right? Which like, I knew that it was going to be Earth, but I was like, well, actually I didn't know because I was like, I know that that's a line, but I don't know what like Planet of the Apes that's from, you know, the ending. <laughs> so I was like, these fucking dudes are are English. And this is this is one of the reasons why sci-fi is my favorite genre because it has always been a place to push forward and push back on societal norms in a way that 100%. I think makes it a little bit more interesting and more palatable. And I do think that there are films that are coming out now that are doing that and doing that oh, to sure. this level, yeah, but I think die. that they just that they just aren't as widely known or, you know, like uh, in the zeitgeist yet. <laughs> but like I do really think that it's interesting how the apes like declaring supremacy over humans and over just the entire world all they're doing is just mimicking humanity you know and and mimicking the same people and the same things that that led to the end of the world yeah you know yeah and i just i want to reiterate the idea of like the hero's journey in this of like returning having changed and the pivot on that is returning having not changed nothing's changed yes everything's mm-hmm. the same because of this very specific type of person i was so impressed by it for for those reasons like it really intentionally took that and said fuck it no that's what happens that's the answer that's it everything I mean- moves on nothing's different Sci-fi is like when it's done. Yeah, well, it's just the most punk rock genre. Truly, well, sci-fi fuck. <laughs> yes. yeah, sci- sci-fi sick yes. because literally you can kind of do whatever <laughs> in yeah. any sort of way as long as what is integral to most stories is the humanity and the empathy and the 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 idea of like seeing oneself or finding oneself in some kind of journey. Here, oftentimes it is the hero, but within that. You can play. You can do whatever the fuck you want. And like, like one of the takeaways I have from this movie is that this is a whole world. This movie is a whole ass world. Like, there's yeah. Like, you wonder why they made four more movies. It's because you could have expanded. Like, th- these are the kind of worlds. Like, 
sometimes I'm watching a movie that's so audacious and it's so they're so complex where I just say to myself, "Oh, I'm watching Star Wars." Like I'm watching like yeah. I'm watching an equivalent of Star Wars. Like basically mm-hmm. like somebody who had such a deep understanding of one's own world. I feel that way when I watch Lord of the Rings. I feel that way when I watch Southland Tales. I feel that way when I watch this movie because this movie is just there are so many corners. I could watch a movie about a random guard in this universe and how he lives his life and oh, maybe there's a power struggle between some of the guards and like the thing yeah. or whatever. Like that's enough of a story. There's so much detail that you can have a story there. And so you're seeing all these things play out. The brilliant production design, brilliant costume design, everything has details. You notice that like there's colors, like people are like color coordinated, and their species coordinated. So different yeah. species of monkeys have a higher uh, part in the hierarchy, which is kind of also alluded to in Rise in a few ways. Which is yeah. something that I also wanted to bring up is um, ha- another way that the the ape uh, in my notes it's the ape establishment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, another way that they mimic humans, especially of the time, is through the racism. Yes. Uh, through, yeah. yes, yes, um, yes. So the monkey hierarchy, yes. right? We have the orangutans at the top mm-hmm. um, and they're all leaders. And then we have uh, the chimpanzees who are doctors and everything because they have like, you know, uh, their brain works better or something. Right. And then the gorillas <laughs> are literally just the muscle. Right. So like even within this, uh, not only do we have racism, but we also have like a society that's built on that racial class structure which yeah. is again just another thing that they saw well, humans do you it's, know it's, it's literally Brilliant. just a predication on eugenics that's <laughs> like the no, whole totally conversation is. that's and all like, it is which word, which is the, interesting because at a certain time especially as this an allegory for humanity there was a time where there was sort of in a white supremacist state this expectation that like we're in power because we're smarter and they try to prove it scientifically in the way that we're right. seeing this that power structure is still in play in this other way but it hasn't been discussed or, or or dismantled or proven to be incredibly false just based and rooted in straight racism right yeah it's cool mm-hmm. it's 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 an interesting and, and what i love what i friend- love about it is that it's not talked about at all no one needs to feel the need to no. say anything about mm-hmm. it like there's no like here's how the race class system works in this universe the orangutans are at the top how many movies do we have where it's like let me break it down for you well these guys are at the top yeah there's no need you immediately understand it because there's just the body language the product the costumes yeah. the colors it's immediately clear when you're watching it like oh it's okay a, it's I a think movie that's something that, that older yeah. films did uh did a little bit better whereas now um, yep. now we have a lot of a lot more exposition and now yep. we need we need to know exactly why this, uh, what this one device do- does and everything, where I think yeah. that it's stronger storytelling. And I think Eric and I have talked about this a lot when you just run with it and you trust that your audience is smart and is going to pick up on this. And even if like they don't pick up on, you know, the racial disparities between like the, uh, the different types of monkeys, they, uh, you know, they understand like, you know, the color associations kind of mm. like you were talking about and things yeah. like that. Right. So that all serves the, the greater purpose. And that's when people like us can get in there and really fucking dive in. Yeah, um, it's that's why it, it's a movie that works well because of that one. That's a huge part of it is trust your audience, right? Like, don't spoon feed too much. Like, give what's necessary, but ultimately let it speak for itself and let it. Because again, color association, we're gonna see that and we're gonna pick yeah. up on that to some degree, and it's gonna make us wonder, and it's gonna be like discovery. It's like in it's inviting us to explore the space that they've created in a way that's interactive, and also it builds the story, it builds the world, and makes it feel more realistic and more realized, which ultimately is. Mm-hmm 
a great thing. Like, I want to explore this space. And like, like you were saying, the idea that like this guard could have this whole other side story. It's yeah. we're witnessing a world that is complex and so unique and intrinsic and so fascinating. So like, let us play in the space. Do not tell us too much. Give us what we need and then let us kind of build our own path. Mm-hmm. I do yeah. want to dip into the misogyny. You did. You t- you touched on it a little bit. It's right. Um, Let's do it. It's, it's right because I feel like that's like a huge part of this. So first and foremost, there's four astronauts. One of them is a woman. One of them is not white. The spacecraft crashes and she dies. We find out she's dead. Bada boom. Later, it's brought up that she actually wasn't really even a scientist. She was kind of just a fuck vessel yeah. <laughs> for, and- for the men to repopulate this unknown plane, which it just, A, is so unnecessary because you've already killed the one woman with any sort of like, it, what, what is established here is like intellectual credibility. This scientist, this this pioneer of the stars, you kill her immediately. But then later it's like, no, she actually wasn't a scientist. We were just going to fuck her. And you're like, okay. And to me, so in the very <laughs> beginning, right, when uh, Charlton Heston has his whole little monologue and he's just yeah. like, oh my God. And then he like, he takes a second to look at each of the crew members. He lingers a little bit more on her. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this the benefit of the doubt, which I don't normally do in films, right? I'm like, I'm yeah. going to give this the benefit of the doubt because they, you know, they're on a, a science exploration mission, right? All of that, great. So, and he did look at the other characters, right? Normally it would just be he looks at the woman longingly and then boom, goes to bed. And then yeah. we know there's romantic tension there, right? But in this one, I was like, oh, well, she's a scientist. Like maybe, maybe that's it. Cool. And then literally <laughs> when they're like, oh, she's our E, she was supposed to be our Eve. So you're the last of the line buddy and uh we were supposed to you know uh repopulate with our charm and i've had so many women oh my god and i was like what the fuck are you doing what (laughs) the fuck like why did we need to like even have that in there like just say she was a scientist just don't don't and this is a this is a moment where just don't say anything at all if you have nothing nice to add to a character uh, a marginalized character just don't fucking say anything just don't add that it's truly because, like, you already killed her. What else What else are you going to do? Like, she's and, already dead. And they made her, <laughs> like, you know, so she was beautiful before. And then, like, when she's, like, cronish, right? When she's, like, yeah. you know, decomposing and stuff. Then And she's no longer beautiful. Then she's of no <laughs> use. So she's just, like, done. Because she's literally not a person, right? Like, we've established no, that. She's an object for repop- She's it, she's an object for repopulation, and that was her mission. That's that's her directive. That's why she's here. Except for Dr. Zira, but Dr. Zira is off the table because she is not, like, she's not a human, right? But then at the end, it's like, oh, no, but, like, I still do want to bone you, actually. So right in front of your fiancé, just, just, like, make out with I me. Just, like, just so do much. it. And I was like, I really do. that doesn't make sense because, like, he's there with... Nova, who originally Dr. Zira puts um, puts this woman in uh, the cage with Charleston Heston. And she's like, oh, my gosh, they're going to mate. Ha, 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 ha. I'm going to make them mate. Right. This is going to be lovely. And she's all giddy about it. And Taylor decides that 
all right, there's a woman here and they're like spooning and it's fine, right? But then he decides to like, because she can't talk, he names her. And then he like starts having this weird ownership of thing of him where he says that she's the only one that's going to listen to him. And he's like, but I don't have you anymore because she was physically taken away from him, right? And he's like, do you love me? Can you love me? Like that doesn't matter to him because she belongs to him, right? As far as he's concerned. And then there's a moment where like he belittles her and tells her that she's not smart. And then she smiles and he's like, at least you do that. I taught you how to smile, right? And just, that was like the grossest fucking thing to me. And then like all her, all she does as a character, like we don't see her get to do anything except literally all she does is follow him around. And then she also like when he's like, writing in the sand she covers all that up right like she is like she as a woman is actively sabotaging him without even realizing it right so it's like her actions are literally just stand here look pretty fuck his shit up and just smile and look helpless i understand what they're trying to do for this character to make him i mean granted is it intentional to have these characters there for him to to objectify to make him look less likable or is it to make him look more charming or um desirable because i think in a lot of these older movies mm. that is sort of the intention with the sort of womanizing and misogynistic aspects of these male characters having the sort of the big air quotes charisma to sort of be <laughs> so overt and be so like like wow honey you should smile more or like kiss me and like grab the you know what i mean so all I stories can't written tell. by men all stories written by men <laughs> yes and so that's also the thing is like obviously He's a bad guy, intentionally bad. The whole reiterative has not changed that conversation. But I do think that, that this was supposed to add to his time. It was supposed to amplify the sort of charisma that he has, the machismo that he's sort of giving and that sort of confidence boost. Totally. She's supposed to be that for him. Um, but then it's, even it's with so, like... It's so bad. Like, it's just really... The whole time, too, because it's supposed to be like, oh, this romance, like, she's just, like, helpless, and he's, like, big, strong man. But, like, she says not a single fucking word. Not a and word. And the whole oh, time, word. too, we're seeing, like, this, again, big air quotes, romance blossom on screen. It's really just him being like, hey. And then the next scene, they're, like, spooning, <laughs> and he kisses her, and he's like, hey. And then later... She's like smiles and he's like, I taught you how to smile. And you're like, no, you, what is, what? No, what, who? And for <laughs> a film that is talking so much about yeah. humanity, right? Yeah. And uh, where humans are treated like animals, right? You would think that there would at least be some sort of defining factor in the different people. Because we do see a lot of different people, right? A lot of different humans. But all of them are like indistinguishable from the next. So in a movie that's trying to make the case for their personhood and all of that, it just like is treating them really wrote them as animals. Yeah. Like this movie is very intentional and very well crafted. But again, moments like that where it's like the intent versus the impacts can yeah. vary significantly. And it seems like a, at best she's there to, show us that he's an absolute buffoon monster man at worst it reinstills the notion of masculine supremacy misogyny and the objectification of women right so you have yeah. to like balance what you gotta balance. i don't know yeah, yeah it's balanced but similarly it is also like jess was saying intent right like like understand yeah. what these things mean for somebody who's like viewing them for the first time and how that's going to instill 
a way to exist within that, especially male writers, because often and that's also part of the male gaze, right? It's part of the male it's gaze because yeah. yep. the uh, yeah. Taylor is written as a character that you, as a man, are supposed to project onto, right? Yes. So the female gaze does not exist. It is um, always a man looking at like this is who I who I am and who I would be in this narrative. Yeah. So, um, so that also kind of works to I- exactly what you're saying, Eric. Yeah. I will say that I do think um, that Dr. Zira is a very strong character and oh, she's uh, she fantastic. is female awesome. she's and great. she yeah. is wonderful. So, um, so kudos to that Props, because, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> because yeah, she is really great. It just sucks that the, the human women are all objectified and just there to make babies. But, the one woman that is incredibly capable and smart and everything is off the table, but he still has to make out with her anyway. I still hate <laughs> yeah. that. I hate the it, moment. It, totally unnecessary. Why? Why? Isn't it the weirdest Why? scene? It's like the it weirdest choice. It is the weirdest choice. scene, and it's right in front of Cornelius. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. why, dude? Why? Because well, even, even when he asks, and then it's like she looks over at him, and he looks over at her, and they're like... And at least she says, like, yeah, but you're ugly. Yeah, right. Like that, I'm that's kind of funny, though. That shit's yes. kind of funny. I love that okay, moment. I was like, good on you, girl. It's a yeah. nice way to subvert the weird tension, but even still, as an as a as a scene, I could not agree with you guys more. It's very misplaced. I'm like, wait, what? Why? Like, why there did he have an- to kiss her? There was another moment that was a little bit weird for me, and it is the moment where I think he's talking to Landon in the beginning, kind of like when he's calling him out on his shit, like, oh, well, mm-hmm. you only came for glory. I came because blah, 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 right? But, like, there's this laugh that Charleston Heston does that is just, <laughs> yes. like, seems incredibly yes. maniacal out of yes. nowhere. It's and like, I'm like, wait, okay, <laughs> is <laughs> he crazy? <laughs> like, something like that? Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm like, what's going on? What's yeah. going on with you? Like, yeah. and then that's Ringing the only bells. moment that he's, yeah, that he starts to show like a little bit of insanity. And I was like, okay, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's another one of those. Mo- that's a perfect moment of like, did they intend something with that? Cause it's not translating. Super yeah. well. that, didn't, that, didn't, <laughs> that didn't even take like 40 years to realize that was immediate. People were like, mm, Nope, that doesn't work <laughs> yeah. at all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just want to mention one more scene that is just one of my all-time favorite comedic scenes and otherwise not very comedic movies is when they're talking about flight or whatever and it's like a plane a plane a, a machine with wings that can fly that's impossible and then Charles Heston is Taylor just throws the paper airplane yeah. and it makes a hill and it falls to the ground. I had to pause the movie. I was laughing so hard. It's, I was like, it's, <laughs> it's also it is truly oh. the perfect throw. Like to to exemplify exactly what happened, it's like yeah. It is. But how many times do you think they did that to get that perfect throw? Too many, too many. But it's it's a hilarious moment. But it's also a perfect microcosm of the story. It's like what? That's impossible. Oh no! It's it's literally right right in front of you. It's it's a perfect just like comedic beats. Dramatic movies like this can't take those kinds of comedic beats from actual comedies. Like leave it like it's unfair. (laughs) It's not fair the greatest comedic beats of all time are gonna be stuck in Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Come on. It it is nice too because it does break up some of that uh the tension of it. Like because it is very it like moments are sinister, moments are intense, and then this moment where he's like it's like just (laughs) 
Like yeah, it's Cornelius nice... and Zira, like in their kind of like Cornelius, you know, like the yeah. kind of like couple mentality is very fun. It's a great way of introducing the the characters into the film. The boulder yeah. scene was incredibly hilarious to me with the boulder <laughs> and they're just like running <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah. Um, I also want to say how fucked up it is that Dodge, the one who yeah, was this was the last driven thing that I was going to say by the pursuit of <laughs> arguably the one who was the most pure in this whole thing, right? Landed was in it for himself and the glory. Um, uh, Taylor was in it for himself and glory. Dodge was in it literally for the pursuit of knowledge. We see how excited he is yeah. just running around, the, literally running around the planet just to look and explore because he's so stoked. He, him, both him and Taylor are shot in the neck, but Taylor survives and is treated, and Landon is not. Landon is instead taxidermied and stuck into a museum. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that, to be honest, though, that kind of is perfect because, like, the, the, uh, I mean, thematically speaking, like, the idea that the character who is um, pursuing knowledge. Um, yeah. I just hate just that it was the black character. If it yeah, was that if part sucks. That that part Landon, yeah. Switch the actors that played Landon and Dodge and cool, perfect, excellent, awesome. Yeah, yeah I agree. You know? I agree. Yeah. Faux pas. Because sure. truly by like if you subvert that trope of like killing off your black characters first, would have been gorgeous. I mean, because again, he's maimed and like it's still not a good outcome. And arguably but at a least similar way it subverts that the trope. Taylor is, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I do agree that like, yes, killing the one who is the most knowledgeable, most most uh, indulgent in seeking truth is such a nice little... Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's scoot over to the next one, right? Yeah. In current day San Francisco, pharmaceutical chemist William Rodman is struggling to cope with his father's Alzheimer's and desperately working on a drug capable of reversing its effects on the brain. The lab he works at, Gensis, has been testing his latest viral drug on chimpanzees, and just when it seems they finally made a real breakthrough, one of the test subjects breaks free and is murdered in a hastily put-together investors meeting. As a result, all the test subjects are to be euthanized, and it's back to the drawing board for William. But wait, it turns out the murdered chimpanzee was a mom hiding her baby from the lab workers. Refusing to take responsibility for what happened and start over, William takes the baby chimpanzee to his house where he and his father raise it as their son. And William starts using his dad as a human test subject for his anti-Alzheimer's drug. Cool move, dude. After a few mishaps over the years, William's dad starts relapsing as his body forms antibodies to the Alzheimer's drug. And Caesar becomes a clothes-wearing angsty teen chimp. Gensis has begun chimpanzee trials on the next miracle drug, except this one is ultra potent and toxic to humans. Oh no! Meanwhile, after trying to protect Rodman Sr. from a shitty neighbor, Caesar is sent to live at an abusive monkey sanctuary. After having a hard time fitting in, he decides to expose the group to the new Gensis drug, so all the monkeys become super smart, and together they decide to break out and head for the redwoods, destroying anything in their path. Okay. So this is the moment. Let's dive in. Larry, you okay. have Start the floor. Okay. okay. So like, look, this, <laughs> this, it, th- like, where do I even begin? Like, I am so, and maybe I'm just going to kind of get passionate about it here because I'm so tired of where the film industry is right now. Yeah. And the sort of the era that we're in right now. And the fact that this movie exists in its current form, whether or not you like it or not, which we will get into, 
is a fucking miracle of miracles. Like this movie to me is a is a miracle. There's like a, a kind of a throwaway joke in in screenwriting where it's like, how do you take a story and and tell it new? Oh, you just do it in reverse, or like you know, or you or you just change the, change the perspective, you know, like or yeah. whatever. That's literally what this movie is. That is what this movie does. This movie, there are very subtle moments of imagery in the movie that make it that confirm air quotes confirm that this movie is a prequel to an alternate version of the events of the 1968 film which we just discussed so for those of you who are paying attention there's a newscast (laughs) about a rocket that flies up to mars which is what taylor's initial mission was uh and then uh then newspapers is lost in space um and so technically speaking these movies are a prequel to an alternate version of the events of planet of the apes obviously not the original films actually because the original films take place in the 70s or the the mission starts Mm -hmm. in the 70s but to me that is like almost reductive like almost borderline reductive a way to think about these movies because those reference first of all those references are very ancillary they are they are not at all relevant to the plot of the film to be honest and really are more valuable thematically to the film and not plot wise like thematically in the sense of like science can go wrong question mark like that's really like what those what those yeah. moments help to instill they're way more valuable that way but also just like if you showed both of these movies to somebody who has no familiarity with the ip and they just watch them i don't think they would like draw these corollaries like obviously there's like oh they're both about apes they just kind of feel like sister movies not like that they sourced from the same material to me like this is just that's why i said it's like it's a gold standard while also being a unicorn because this movie does not rely on the original it does not pander to fans of the original there's besides for those little mars you know cutaways it which is by the way very light pandering you know i like yeah and it doesn't even feel like pandering it feels like the filmmakers were like trying to almost pay homage in a certain way there are a lot of homages to the original film like for example the ape um the uh, the uh, the mother ape caesar's mother in the lab is called bright eyes bright eyes which is exactly what zira nicknames taylor when he's in uh, containment and there are a couple other allusions to that as well and so it's, it doesn't feel pandery it feels very artistic very intentional a lot of these choices but Basically, what I'm skirting around the point is that this is an entirely original story. This is and this is an original take on the events that would lead up to. Even though again, I don't like using that because it feels reductive, but it it is it is basically like a story. It is an original story. I this movie to me yeah. is most valuable as just a movie. It's just its own unique, beautiful little thing. And as I watch it and I think to myself of the certain era that we're in right now, I'm like, why can we not approach things in this way? I feel like there are so many properties and IPs and stories that through this methodology could be injected with so much life in a way that um, has more returns than sort of the way that we're doing it now. And I'm not going to act like Rise of the Planet of the Apes is a sociologically is as sociologically complex as Planet of the Apes is. Definitely not. But that being said, I don't think it really is trying to be or wants to be. I think this is, you know, while Planet of the Apes is a sort of its own universe and is sort of about Taylor, but really about this whole world, this is a story about Caesar. 
And that's why we start with Caesar and we end with Caesar. Like that's a great yeah. rule of thumb. Like if the movie, your movie should start and end with the main character. That's who the main character is. And and yeah. so these movies, especially when you get to Dawn and War, the the second and third film in the trilogy, this is the story of Caesar and literally the rise of the ape, you know, the ape contingent and Caesar as the leader and what the journey Caesar has to go to to become a leader and understand what it means to lead uh, this group of apes, but also understand how to develop himself and his relationship with humans and all of that. And I think that just, I'm almost jealous of the, the simple the simple genius i think of this choice yeah uh, it's incredible i feel like i really like the idea of this being a completely different movie i yeah. wish they would have named it something completely different because then i probably would have uh, i think that is something that really does hold this movie back but yeah absolutely like maybe i should watch the others because i don't have any reference except for this movie and my I, I like Caesar's story. My problem with it, and I, I think that this um, this movie does the same thing in terms of the, the main character, right? So, or the uh, the main human character, I'll say, where Franco, his, he's just fucking Franco in, in all of my notes. I'm sorry. <laughs> he, like, yeah. it was just him yeah. on screen. Yeah, totally. Um, but, like, the white male is centering himself in all of the conflict in his life. He refuses to take responsibility for anything and and makes it all about him. So the reason that he has to do this this drug, in, you know, and fix Alzheimer's is because of his dad. But it's not because of his dad. It's because how he feels about his dad, right? And he's not really centering his dad in that. He's centering himself. And yeah. with um, um, with Caesar, it's not about like, oh, I can't euthanize this poor, cute little baby. He sees the uh, the drug in in the baby, and he's like, oh well, here's my test subject, let's go, right? And so he has Caesar at home. And I think that this is a, a really good origin story for Caesar, right? Where yeah. he then, you know, takes him because he's different, right? And he locks him up. Like, sure, he has his, like, cute little attic playroom, Which, right? Which, to I'm, be like, fair, I want so that fucking cute. room. I do want that it's room. It's so cool. <laughs> I do want that room. <laughs> but he is performing tests on Caesar, right? And he's yeah. he's doing all of this in secret and he's um he's lying to everybody about it. Even his girlfriend, which I think she's the one character that is trying to recenter Caesar in all of this where she tells uh Will like, "Hey, yeah, sure, this is this all this stuff, but what about Caesar? You're not centering him and how dare you fucking lie to me?" Which I think she is incredibly intelligent and I think it is bullshit that she did not know that he was not licensed to have a chimpanzee and yeah. why would he take this chimpanzee to her yeah. in kind of like yeah. a backwater way and like don't tell anybody. I think that that really did do her a disservice especially when uh, right from the get-go she says that she both loves and fears chimpanzees, right? So she's so much more intelligent than I think the writing did for her and all she kind of serves to do is just be a love interest so we can say that there's a woman there that's capable but I I, but I really liked her character and I wish that she was in more of it to be that um to be that opposing force against Will and just be like just continue to recenter Caesar in the conversation and make um maybe have Will kind of reconcile (laughs) that within himself not yeah. not to be a fool whatever but also like truly anybody but James Franco not to be like a total <laughs> asshole but like 
No, I know. I know. It did not age well. It did not age well with Franco in the lead. With Franco, it's. I get in that in that moment when he was kind of all the rage. It would have made sense, but like in hindsight, it really is like this complex movie, and then Dave Franco doing like kind of sloppy acting bits between these like really intense moments because literally everything was Caesar the development of everything it was so impactful to the point Mm -hmm. it was hard to watch right and like that's the point is him being isolated him being pushed aside the moment of him with the chalk window in his cell like leaning against the window like tears it's so sad and the moment too when he's like oh he's back I'm gonna like go home with my dad and it's gonna be so exciting and then he doesn't get to go and it's like another heartbreak another heartbreak and then finally that moment when he shuts the gate on him when he's there he's like we're going home and he sees the lead she's like fuck no like it's just the development of Caesar's arc like character arc like how he grows into his own into this autonomy into this leader that whole portion of this movie is fantastic without a doubt and it's really inarguable because of the way that they show these really heartbreaking bits and you see the strife the struggle and 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 these moments of just like absolute depression (laughs) but When it's centered around James Franco, it it immediately for some reason just takes <laughs> me the fuck out. Because really, like, and also, I I wish I just truly wish that he was a little bit more likable. Like, again, going to what Jess was saying about how he's so self centered and all this stuff. If he were a little bit more empathetic, just in terms of centering Caesar again, it would make this so much more complex and ha- harder to watch. Because or even his we, dad. Like, or even you his know, dad. he's like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work, but let's yeah. try this. Like, and he ultimately, his ego is what kills his father. Right. Yes. He, um, um, yeah. Can I, can I just, uh, rebut? Yeah. Let's um, go. Rebut first, of all, first of all, great takes all around. Love it. <laughs> um, I will admit on this viewing, I definitely lost a little bit of my spark in Franco. Now, granted, uh, obviously after everything that's happened with him, not fun watching him lead a movie. Um, yeah. but, yeah. but, I agree that there are a couple of moments where like just the just the um apathetic James Franco-ness kind of rubs off on some of these really dramatic scenes. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm it's not gonna so lie. Dr- like it's, it's like tough. a really intense scene where he's like 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 he's having to contemplate like the most intense situation, like my dad might die and I have I'm a, like maybe a father now. And he's just like <laughs> Uh, like the malaise and this the simple like, I agree. It's, apathy he was is not so... the best casting. I will agree yeah. with you. Not the best <laughs> casting. However, to rebut something that Jessica was talking about, we talked a lot about in the last film, self-interest, greed, how all of these things mm-hmm. can poison societies. Whether or not this was intentional on the part of the filmmakers, because I do think that the filmmakers are trying to make you empathize with Will's character and a Mm -hmm. lot of his choices in a modern context. No, no, no. Even though the film is very aware that what he's doing is not okay. Uh, you know, obviously, like, you know, when David Oyelowo's character finds out that he's been experimenting with his father with this drug, he's like, I could fire you in one second. But of course, money. So he's like, yeah, oh, keep yeah. going, but keep going. Uh, yeah. But it didn't work. Uh, again, but like David Oyelowo's character is another great example. Like we talked a lot about self-interest, and I do think that that is a valid interpretation of this movie that I think really does help that side of it. And I, I, I will fully agree with you that when Caesar's going and it's all Caesar, this movie is like firing on all cylinders. And it's just amazing. And I will admit going back to Franco yeah. is a little bit of a bummer. However, <laughs> however, I think it's essential having James Franco's character be there because we need that shift in perspective and yes. that shift in protagonist. We need that moment because that 
is when it's almost like a moment of autonomy. It's like a moment yeah. of Caesar gaining autonomy and taking over totally. the movie. And it's kind of this beautiful kind of like almost like kind of subversive storytelling uh, execution of like, we're going to center on this human character. And then when Caesar comes in and like James Franco's character has proven that he is beyond the point of return. It is now, it's almost like Caesar is taking responsibility of his own movie. It's like Caesar has to do the thing. And well, yeah. And I do yeah. like that because same yeah. for yes. like, there is literally that moment where uh, Franco is like, this isn't my responsibility. Like he's, he's trying to like, yeah. you know, be like, nope, nope. Uh, I'm here. I did like, sure. I made this drug, but like he, he's really trying to distance himself from the fact that all of these um, chimpanzees were just murdered. The fact that that board meeting went the way that it did be when he was the one that was like fucking pushing to have this right the fuck then, right the fuck then. Right. And I like that Caesar in this way is um, because we talked about how he starts emulating human behavior, right? And so he's like, he's wearing clothes and he's sitting upright and he wants to use a fork and he wants to sit in the thing, right? And then when he sees the difference and when he starts to like be in the forest more, be around like, you know, other people that like look like him, right? Like that's when he's like, oh, maybe this doesn't serve me. And we see him literally start to yes. shed the bits of humanity that don't work for him. We see him take like the shirt ripped off of him, right? We see him shed his clothing. We see him get rid of the the window in his, in his cell, right? So he's starting to shed these things. And when there is that moment, and I do think that this is one of the best moments of the movie where James fucking Franco goes in and like uh, again tries to use his rich white privilege which he tried to use uh with the lady at the yeah. um at the animal control and then just shoves a fucking pile of money and like waves that he goes and he's like you can come home with me it's great right and in this moment like um caesar realizes that he can't leave his his brethren there right yeah. to suffer and be absolutely abused that he realizes that he's their only chance to break free from this oppressive system and that in this moment he actually he really does have to leave and that's when he shuts the gate right and then at the very end like the only thing that he tells uh he tells franco and he's like come home i'll take you home i'll make sure that you're safe which you know that that he can't right again he's trying to center himself and be like no i i can do this i just i need you he's not thinking about what's best for caesar um like you were saying absolutely seeing caesar say i am home right and just like and literally at, in this moment like you know we've seen him kind of like uh, when he's around um, when he's around Franco, he's like, you know, asking for permission and he's kind of like hunched over and he's very submissive around him. And when we see him standing fully upright without any clothes, without like, you know, shedding, having shed all of that humanity and just saying, no, this is my place. It's so much more impactful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that totally I really want to totally point fair. out that I think was so funny, um, when, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> when <laughs> he says, um, like where they're going to go do something, he says, I know a place right across the bridge and he takes sort of mere woods and maybe this is just like a local thing. Is Mere Woods like a secret? It's like the most popular destination for San Francisco, for anybody visiting. It's like being like, yeah, I know a place. We go to the Statue Disneyland. of Liberty. Like, literally. It's it's the most common, like, 
if you try to go to Mirror Woods any day of the week at any time, you have to park like two this. miles away because everything is full. Everyone is there. I love that it San Fran is... perspective on this also, movie, man. <laughs> like, so, I have... like, nobody's here. It's my secret place. It's like, it's Mirror Woods. Shut the fuck up. Like, it's so <laughs> popular. You silly and I man. Have <laughs> never seen San Francisco so fucking empty as it was. I, in this. Know. I was like, I know. Uh, like so because Beautiful. I know San Francisco because we're here I'm like like that took me out I was like where the fuck are all the people where like yeah. the the <laughs> Golden is Gate so Bridge silly. is never that empty I don't yeah. care who you are what time it is the street like the these streets where the fuck are the all the pedestrians where yeah. where where is the life <laughs> I, in this city because the only life was just a couple cars on the road and 800 super smart which, monkeys which is one of my favorite things about like any action sequences in a lot of places that's all like feel like always it'll be like new york city on like Times square and there's like 20 people yeah <laughs> and it's just like uh, okay also the a couple of the lines like the way he gets her to go to dinner where it's like oh what is oh, what yeah. is he saying like he thinks you and i should have dinner together i'm like this fuck boy uh, what the fuck? Like this absolute silly little man. Uh, my God! Like and it, and it for it like leads that that sort of these moments lean into the Franco of it all. Uh, just in terms of like dislikability or unlikability rather. Um, and so these I was just like, oh my God, Jesus! The Franco like, of it all. The, the big Franco, Franco of it in all. The room. Yeah. Truly, it's just like oh, it, oh, it's Franco. Oh, James Franco's in this. Hmm. Um, yeah, this is a, this is an anti-Franco pod. Um, yeah. <laughs> there was also, um, I want to talk about the veterinarian, the, or the, is he a veterinarian? The, the guy that was like in charge of Frank, the monkeys? Franklin, yes. He was yes. the, uh, he was the head scientist, uh, who sort of oversaw the chimps. Yeah. I like his character. I wish there was more of him. Um, and I disliked that he's the one out of everybody that is probably like the most qualified to be in the operating room, that he was the one that lost his mask. I was like, okay. And then he's like the one overweight character that is, then he's like just nothing because then he's going to be killed by this. I was like, well, I, Wait I sec. really, I do wish he was in it more. And I also wish that his likability was in the other, in the Franco character. Like, mm-hmm. because there's yeah. that care and compassion and like, obviously he still has to be an egomaniac. Like he has to still be super. He just killed 12 monkeys. <laughs> yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah, not, but, by cho- not by choice. Okay. Let's, absolutely. Let's, 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 not by choice. Absolutely. And you see this that weight. Right. Yeah. You get that weight. Even moment. in those two lines. Yeah. I love exactly. that moment where he gives the needle to Franco. He's like, I'm done. No more exactly. for me. Yeah. And so so you see that humanity, you see that goodness in him. So there's there's this element of like, oh, I'm rooting for him. Like he's gonna go through some tribulations, he's gonna go through some stuff, but regardless, I've seen the humanity, I've seen the saving of the animal, I've seen the I've seen the good thing, and now I want more good stuff and I hope he succeeds. And like if we got more of that with Franco, because I feel like the saving of Caesar by itself is just like a, a proximity thing. It's not really a choice. It's like a necessity. So for me, that is like the save the cat moment doesn't really resonate as hard. Cause, cause like, I feel like I that's supposed it. to be the, that, what? I fixed it. We just swapped those actors. Franco <gasps> oh, is now. There you go. There you go. And, and then King. all of a sudden, King. done. 
Perfect. Done. And then James Franco could die of a viral pandemic and we'd Perfect. all be free. Perfection. 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 <laughs> Iconic. Because, oh, yeah, that, even I mean, in those, those like, two little scenes, like, he, uh, I did really buy that he both cared about all of these animals and, um, yeah. you know, yeah, absolutely. I wanted to touch back on one of the themes with Caesar real quick, just as, like, something that I'm thinking about as the larger theme and something that is also echoed in the first one. Just the conversation with, that we discussed about, like, existentialism and loneliness, that mm-hmm. being, like, a key pivot for Caesar's entire arc, where he's, like, trying to find himself. Where does he exist? Where is his place? He's so lonely, so isolated, so on his own. And then finding that community and finding that belonging similarly with john lithgow the isolation of alzheimer's the loneliness of alzheimer's like what that does to somebody and then that in conjunction with dave or dave frank james franco and him actively losing his father and possibly losing his job and like the the isolation of that and 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 thinking that maybe he's going to be on his own and thinking that maybe Maybe this is for nothing. Maybe all of this work is nothing. And who even is he in the in the cog of this machine, in the scope of life? Like that whole the thematic elements of each one of these arcs for each one of these characters, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, yeah, that's like really good. And you see the one character who needs to triumph triumph, which is Caesar. And that is mm-hmm. like it, it's the most enriching and it's also the most um satisfying to watch. Mm-hmm. As it unfolds, I just like it because I know that we were talking about that in the first one as far as like the existentialism and loneliness. I wanted to touch on it before I forgot it because in my head I was like, ooh. And this movie, it does not feel congratulatory in the way that because it really is about Caesar. Like yeah. we are we are sitting here like, you know, d- digging into the the little inner, the very, the minutia of the film, which we should be because that's, that is who we are. But at the end of the day, ultimately it's a story about Caesar who is not a character from the originals, is not even really an amalgamation of characters from the originals. He's not really, you can't really tie direct corollaries to any of them. And even though, what's actually ironic is that this movie does have plot elements from one of the sequels. It sort of takes like, very light inspiration because in one of the sequels there is a sort of ape rebellion so like some people have drawn corollaries to that but it is so obviously not meant to recreate the story at all it is meant to be its own original and unique take on the material and it's just so refreshing it's so nice i wish that we did things like like this i wish that we sort of had a bit more integrity and honesty and how we take a look at these previous films and or previous ips in general you know i feel like there's sort of two different like everybody wants to be like either meta like oh we understand what these movies were about let's do this matrix (laughs) matrix also the trailer for the chippendale reboot thing that came out recently (gasps) felt extremely that energy (laughs) well roger rabbit canon even yeah roger (laughs) rabbit canon though i mean look it's not our fault that hollywood loves us and just wants us to keep doing this podcast forever Um, true (laughs) oh my yeah talk about talk about self-serving um but (laughs) but or or instead of being overtly meta you just pander you just give people just like here's like dominion is not gonna be meta it's just gonna be here's all the shit you like uh and so you can either go one of those two ways fast 10 in space and i'm here for it i'm here for that and so that's see these are these are the moments where is everything you're saying absolutely correct true but because of that, there is the sort of 
I, I feel like full circle where it's like it's now re-entered the realm of like enjoyable but in a obviously silly way. Like which lends into the conversation of camp, right? Like it's right. it is self-serving, it is silly, it is like taking itself way too seriously but in like a we understand what we're doing kind of way. I mean, you can't say that for for all of this stuff cuz I mean, I do want to see the new Jurassic Park. I'm very nervous about it because I do think that like it's either going to be like high camp or an absolute flop and it's it's going to be one of the two. Something yeah. like Fast 10, um genius. Genius. <laughs> fucking genius. Let's go to space. Let's go to space in a fucking Hyundai. Fast 10 is also Fast and the Furious is also kind <laughs> of a bit of a I mean, they've already been unicorn. to space in a Hyundai. Uh, yeah. So. I just I just I literally yeah. want them rocketing over the moon. <sighs> yes. Fast 10. Go to but, the but, moon. But Fast drift, and the Furious drift drift admit, around the moon. Drift it. <laughs> Fast and the Furious is also kind of a unicorn in the sense because it has completely outlived whatever previous intention they had with the series and has become Absolutely. a complete <laughs> as a become a complete oddity in its own like it's, dumb thing yes and which it's is, because they oh. stuck with it that they, because they, it's they stuck with this it idea. you're totally right yeah fucking stuck with <laughs> and it. that's and that's the kind of like because truly it's not like we're taking any of that at face value for like any sort yeah. of whatever like there could be elements of it that are gorgeous but there are the there is the understanding that like this is silly we know this is silly yeah I just wait. Where do we? How do we get here? Yes. No. I'm tying it back. I'm tying it back. I'm tying it back. Okay. Okay. So, okay, okay, okay. so this back, like so I'm back. saying like we have all these different modes of storytelling and franchise storytelling, and so this movie, and that's why ultimately, even with all of its flaws, it will still stand as this really important, special, formative movie for me, and and with Dawn especially, um, and so I'm talking about the whole trilogy really, because there really is not a trilogy like this. There is no trilogy in blockbuster storytelling and IP driven storytelling that is like this um, that is not only this divergent from its originals and this insistent on creating a new story by the time you get to dawn by the way there's really very minimal semblance of planet of the apes um, but there is a dramatic air to all of them and they do have this prestige like a lot of other attempts at rebooting uh, franchises like this in completely different directions they're not really going for this kind of like thematic exploration of these concepts. Like I brought up the Jumanji sequels earlier. Like are those, those are not bad movies by any means. I enjoy them immensely. And I think they have some interesting things to say kind of sort of about like you can, you can break into those movies a little bit in terms of like gender and like how they, how they play with, I mean, Jack Black literally oh, plays have. a straight up, a straight oh, up. We have. We've, yeah. we've a hundred percent, yeah, yeah, you guys covered these already. Yeah, you you yeah. talked about this already. Yeah, <laughs> so those are those are kind of interesting, but they're not aiming for a commentary. I don't think these movies are really. Those movies do not have the same kind of aim. Uh, again, we talked about intentionality versus just what you sort of draw. I don't think the filmmakers made Jack Black play a straight up white chick and was looking for like, let's talk about gender. Like, I don't think that's what they were trying. Oh, that was no. the most regressive thing. It was yeah. so. It was so bad. Yeah, yeah. No. So I don't think they were trying to do that. But you can have a discussion about it, but not the intention. But this movie feels like they are trying to channel some elements of the original film, but just take it in a very, very different light and be like, and in my opinion, a far more, well, not far more, but in a much more progressive light in the sense of let's take this story and put it on the disenfranchised person in the story. I mean, I'm talking about Caesar, not James Franco. Um, <laughs> um, let's talk about this story from the perspective of the marginalized character and let's watch those characters triumph in this beautiful a bit more storytelling traditional yeah. kind of I way do, 
also I, like that we yeah. know that they are going to win and that like by it being a planet of the apes film we know that caesar is going to get justice and that uh, humanity is doomed because why would we want to save it at this point so i like watching this knowing that like okay cool this is going to happen. Like there is hope. Yeah. You know what but I mean? But at what Whereas, cost, like, Jessica? Something... At what cost? We lost our poor Buck. We lost yeah. Buck, our fallen brother. I mean, Ugh. he he died for the cause. He died for the cause. But, but he... can I also say, can I also say, similarly to the first film, it is not this happy, beautiful ending. The no. ending of Rise is yeah. this, It is it is very similarly to the first film, like kind of this like, quiet acceptance kind of 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 although it's different in the sense that in the original film it's like the world stays the same and in this new film the world has is is different the world has changed everything has changed but it's not like nobody really caesar doesn't even technically really get what he wants i mean he fucks up a bunch of police like that's cool but like caesar caesar does free the apes but like it's very clear that is not like period end of sentence like it's not like this like moment of pure conclusion because he knows there's so much more he knows that he has opened up a can of worms to a much larger thing and the movie ends on the note of james franco just sort of understanding that he's created a monster basically um and caesar being like okay we're start we're starting the journey now like this is it the movie ends at the beginning yeah that's the whole yeah yeah which is which is fascinating because again, as like a true reimagining of what one would call a prequel to the Planet of the Apes, which again we've discussed why that right. isn't really true. But like in this context, it's perfect because it literally starts at the beginning or it ends at the beginning, yeah. like the beginning perfect. of what we know this IP to be to some degree, or like what happens later. Everything that leads to how it starts, boom! Now they're ready. Now they're on the treetops. They're looking at the city. The world is our oyster. Here we go. And Brilliant. I think yeah. that's one of the one of the best things about this being like you were talking about, like a reimagining is because the first one was so vague, like and that's that's what I think I really miss about a lot of sci fi. And I think that sci fi is at its best when it doesn't explain things, when it drops you in this world and then you kind of have to fill in the pieces or, you know, just accept what it is yourself. Right. Where Planet of the Apes was we are here and humans are inferior now um apes talk and um have a societal structure and their own religion and holy shit this was earth the whole time we don't get to understand how the earth got this way we don't understand why this is called the forbidden zone we don't understand like i mean Mm -hmm. they are like just on this very very small part of new york where there's a whole fucking world out there what the fuck happened this is so far into the future that presumably like no written text has survived there's you you'll never be able to reconcile what happened and that's what i like about this and i think what makes it work as a prequel is it's not it can't be bogged down by the original at all because they are two completely separate things and two completely separate stories. I mean, it is just so telling because really Caesar's story is the story of, of this film. Like that's the reason this movie exists. And it is the most, it's the most interesting part of the story. Again, all the Franco heads out there. We're really sorry, but like anytime he cuts back is a mess. We stick with Caesar. (laughs) It's going to be great. Um, and I, yeah, I, I 100% okay, but, agree but, with that. It has for, everything to do with. So Eric and I are prepared uh, when we watch Andy the Serkis other two. And how, how good he is. How much 
how much is Franco in there? He is well. First of all, he is not a major character at all in the in the sequels. Perfect. That's um, all I need to hear. Done. Yes, he does have a brief. <laughs> there is he is he is in archival footage featured in Dawn, I believe, but he is not actually physically in the movie. Perfect. Incredible. Yeah. No, Excellent. that's why I think you need to watch Dawn because it is again like <laughs> again. I think that Rise was their proof that this is that the story can work, and Dawn was them going fully into the rabbit hole of like mm-hmm. the the possibilities of this story cool. uh so please watch it and then war is like if you want to if you wanted your prisoner of war ape movie you, you got it with war <laughs> like it is shockingly depressing and nihilistic but also has woody harrelson um really uh incredible movie as well the entire trilogy i could spend i could have a whole podcast dedicated to how important the reboot trilogy is and how again there really is nothing like this that is as good as it is and that's why you needed to cover it on your show yeah awesome all right so we made it back uh from the planet of the apes in the year 3000 eric um who was this film for uh charlton heston period uh it was for him it was for his ego maybe um also it was for the iconic you um damn you damn you god damn you to hell um i mean (laughs) we need that we need that scene we need that scene in the zeitgeist we need it and so that's why this movie was made we need it (laughs) what about you larry uh this was for whoever designed the costumes for teenage mutant ninja turtles because they saw the chin straps (laughs) and were like that's it we did it by the way that was jim henson that guy it was for jim it was for jim Jim Henson, henson i think yeah, Th- I mean that that I- that iconic meme of like the light hitting the actor a little bit, and you see their eyes in the mouth of. <laughs> yes. It's so scary. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's so it, scary. It is. It is just. Uh, by the way, Jim Henson close to my heart. So all yeah. the love for Jim Henson. But this movie was for Jim Henson. Yeah. Jess, okay. who do you think it was for? Well, I can't think of a better answer than that because I also <laughs> love Jim Henson so yeah. fucking much. So. Um, and this absolutely was for Charleston Heston. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say both of your answers are absolutely correct, and I have nothing to add. Thank you. Can I can I just okay. say by the way I don't know explicitly if if Jim Henson designed the chin straps. I know that he worked on the costumes and the or he worked on the he worked on the puppetry of that movie. I don't know whoever yeah, designed yeah. the chin straps. This movie is for you. I don't want to drag Jim Henson's <laughs> name in the mud if if something if I'm not being accurate. I love you, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but Jim Henson was involved, so he was definitely are. involved. Here, here we, we are. are, Eric. Did yes. you like uh, the 1968 Planet of the Apes? I did. I think it's a movie. I'm glad I saw because I do think that it is a classic in the most classic sense. <laughs> like I do think that it stands as like one of these pillars of cinema. Um, for all the correct reasons, obviously the nuances of whatever. I liked it a lot. I think it's a fantastic film, and I'm really glad. Uh, I watched it. How about you, Larry? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I think that this movie is so complex, and it it stands as a really fascinating product of an era in which filmmakers were really able to explore politically all that they wanted to and all of the all of society's underpinnings uh, and all of the the dark topics we didn't want to talk about like Jess as you said you know like uh it is it, sci-fi is a place for filmmakers to explore society and society at large and the problems with society in a in a much more fascinating way and this movie is a product of that and uh I dig it a whole lot absolutely um 
I also like it. I was much more entertained than I thought I would be. Sometimes going back to older films um, can be a little bit tough. And for some reason, I just had it in my head that this was boring. Again, uh, Tim Burton really fucked me up. But, oh, damn it, Tim um, <laughs> but I watched it. I liked it. I'm glad that I liked uh, that I watched it, especially because we all know that I love sci-fi. Thank you very much. So yeah, I'm really, I'm really glad that I watched it, and I did like it uh, a lot more than I thought I was going to. Now, dun dun dun, present day San Francisco. We're here um, <laughs> with Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Eric. Was this new, interesting, or the same, or progressive, regressive? How are you feeling? Um, I think it was new and interesting in, in everything that we discussed is the way that they've told this story that is both a part of the canon, but also its own completely separate story. It's a story that could exist outside of the, the rules and the, the world of Planet of the Apes, but... Um, I thought it was progressive also just in the way that they centered Caesar, the disenfranchised uh, character in this way. Uh, yeah, I thought it was new, interesting, and progressive. I mean, granted, again, anti-Franco gang rise up because we need to get him out of there. <laughs> absolutely. F- Which he absolutely is in the next not. two. So yes. So sucks. thankfully, big anti-Franco file over here. Anti-Franco file. <laughs> Anti-Franco file. Uh, that's me. So... Um, With that in mind, yes, I do think it was new, interesting, and uh, progressive. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Larry? (laughs) Oh, you know. Y'all already know. Very new. Very interesting. Very, I do think it's very progressive. I mean, I will admit that both of these movies have women problems um, and do not treat their female characters with the same levels of integrity as their male characters. Fully aware of that. That being said, also a movie about men's follies. Uh, so, you know, you know, there's a lot of men doing bad things, too. Uh, and so it does it does even out. But it is progressive in the sense that it is. And I think that a lot of reboots can learn from this. Are there characters from a previous reboot or in your in your previous IP, in the original IPs? Was there a character that was marginalized or was maybe not in the um, sort of not not the straight white male cis sort of. Uh, archetype that deserves to have their perspective told right and i think that's kind of what this movie did in a very different sense you know it took the the ape perspective the chimp perspective it was like let's tell the story from the perspective of the other party and let's put them in a position where they are the ones who have to triumph over the evils of uh, men not just everybody's horrible but rather yeah. uh rather let's real let's try to let's try to make this story about one person and try to make those lines a little bit uh clearer so in that sense i do think it is a bit more progressive because mm-hmm. it decides to put the perspective uh in um, much more marginalized uh marginalized hands yeah totally um i agree i think that this was new and interesting i also think it was um the same in terms of the parallels that we talked about between mm-hmm. characters. Um, but it was the same in incredibly subtle ways where um, I like we only know because we watch them with intent and are now discussing it on this podcast. So I think that that was actually done really well, which uh, generally it's not. So that was a treat. Um, I also think that it was progressive in terms of even though it didn't do right by its female characters at least they were speaking 
Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and also they were Ugh. the voice that was trying to, you know, um, rather than uh, being there to uphold um, the cis white man and his voice and his perspective, they were trying to recenter the conversation on the marginalized um, on, on Caesar. Right. So like, I, I think that that's, uh, that was progressive. I did, did it go far enough? Absolutely fucking not. Um, but there we are folks. <laughs> That's where we are. Progress. Um, yeah. But yeah, I do I did really <laughs> enjoy uh the recentering of the marginalized group and um rather than just, you know, and I liked that um Franco was an asshole and was kind of uh bad and not a good person. Um and so yeah, I I thought that that was cool. Yeah. Um Eric, who is it for? Uh Francophiles. Uh, and by that I mean people who like James Franco. Um, I mean, no, it was for. I mean, it's a really good movie, hundred percent. But James Franco was way too much in it, and I did not like. It. Uh, so I'm gonna just I'm gonna be shitty, and I'm gonna say people who like James Franco. Mm. <laughs> what about you, Larry? Uh, uh, this is made for me. Uh, this movie's made. This Perfect. is this is yeah. my movie. This uh, is your it's movie. also it's also made for people who are tired of the legacy sequels. Uh, and who are looking for an actually interesting, unique take on an IP-driven reboot. Here you go. Here is your good fucking food. Please eat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say this movie is for people that are fed up with humanity and just want to see it get fucked up. Um, I'm sure that that also um, resonates through the rest of the trilogy, um, which I am pretty excited to watch. I I will be honest. I didn't think that I was going to come out of this still like wanting to watch the others. Um, but after talking about it, you did change my mind. So yeah, <laughs> Abe's uh, trilogy, Abe's reboot trilogy, high <laughs> rise. Can I can I also say this movie's also for Buck, my boy. Yeah. Pour one out for Buck, all right? He gave his <laughs> life for the cause. He did. We lo- we, all my homies love Buck, all right? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Eric, did you like the movie? I did. I thought it was great. Larry? I no, think I, thought, I thought it was all right. Eh, it's fine. It was fine. It's fine. <laughs> Jess, what do you think? Yeah, um, I liked it. I thought it was like entertaining just watching it, um, but I liked it a lot more after talking about it with the both of you. Agreed. Like, yeah, I feel, I feel like, like talking about it with you, Larry. I like it more. Yeah, having discussed it. That's what passion does, man. People are passionate about their favorite movies, and you're like, oh yeah, no, this actually is good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank totally. God, because I was like, I could sense that y'all were ready to rip into this movie, and I was like, please don't hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, granted, there are lots of plot holes and things to rip yeah, into, yeah, but I think nope, yep. over, <laughs> overarchingly, I I do think that um, I think that it had really solid bones and really just needed um, a little bit of nuance in um, yeah. in certain characters and a different main actor, please. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, the movie moves too quickly for me to recognize them. Like the movie is like just story central at one point, yeah. and so at one point, like oh, plot, no, there's a, there's that, no, okay, we're we're already we're moving, okay, yeah, we're scooting, <laughs> we're moving, we're we're, well, we're over here now. Yeah, <laughs> we're over we've here we've, now. we've we've moved. Um, <laughs> well, I think that brings us to the end. Uh, Larry, yeah. 
thank you so much for coming on here and spending your entire evening with us talking about Planet of the Apes. <laughs> what an absolute goddamn treat! I it mean, was. that is that. I mean, I I knew I knew I was yeah. going to be an exploding <laughs> barrel of love for these movies, and I'm really I am so thankful that you did not cover these movies yet, and that you could have me here to talk about them because yeah. uh, I do I do really enjoy the original Planet of the Apes very much, and I do this this uh, movie is very near and dear to my heart. So it was a pleasure to be here and talk about it and y'all are so great so are you so funny (laughs) so speaking of you being great and awesome where can people find your stuff oh that's a great question eric um (laughs) for those who don't know uh my name is larry freed and i'm the hosting creator of a podcast it's called my favorite movie is it's a podcast dedicated to helping filmmakers and storytellers make somebody's next favorite film uh, we sit down and talk to other filmmakers and storytellers, talk to them about their all-time favorite movie or whatever comes closest, and through their experiences and how those films changed their lives, we as filmmakers and storytellers articulate techniques and mindsets that we can use to change other people's lives through film in the same vein. Um, my podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the whole nine yards. We're also on Anchor if you use that. And uh, we're also on YouTube. Check us out on there. And, um, yeah, we are current at the time of this recording, we are currently on hiatus. However, in April, we plan on being back and having some awesome new episodes released on a weekly basis. And, uh, who knows? You might see, uh, one of these two characters on the show Ooh. one of these days. Who knows? Whoa. Maybe. Teasing. I mean, I have only been waiting to talk about Josie and the Pussycats my entire life. Also, <laughs> okay, look, it was between Josie and the Pussycats and Spice World because I love both of those equally and for almost the exact same reason. What so. a double header. Yeah. Incredible. So Iconic. those two movies I could talk about forever. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for being with us. Um, We really appreciate you and your time. Uh, Thank you to everybody listening at home. Please don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. Give us some stars. Give us some love. Uh, You love us and we love you. (laughs) Our artwork and music is by Eric Lefebvre. Good (laughs) God. Ooh, that's a good one. (laughs) Obsessed. Oh my, first time I that. Phoebe. Oh, oh my god. Oh my god. I'm going to call you that from now on. Okay. No I'll I'm take not. it. Artwork and music is by Eric Lefebvre, editing by Danny Barkley. And thank you again for listening. And thank you, Eric. And thank Larry. you, Jess. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Jess. Thank you, Jess. Thank you, Eric. This was so much fun. <laughs> and thank remember, you so much. stay cute and stay critical. Goodbye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Nostalgia Network. Visit the NostalgiaNetwork.com for more. You enter the dungeon and see the evil wizard pointing his wand directly at you. He says, Show me a funny and delightful actual play Dungeons and Dragons podcast, or I'll consume your souls! What do you do? I take out my phone and find Quest Friends Forever on Spotify. I show him how to find Quest Friends Forever on Apple Podcasts. I share the Quest Friends Forever Instagram and YouTube pages with him. And you all get critical hits! Yay! Quest Friends Forever is an actual play podcast starring four friends with varying levels of Dungeons & Dragons experience. Join us for new episodes every other Wednesday as we embark on fantasy adventures, play fast and loose with the rules, and laugh at each other's shenanigans. No prior D&D knowledge is required to listen, so everyone can feel free to join the fun. 
Quest Friends 4, that's the number four, like how there's four of us, ever. Find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Quest Friends Forever.